In the Shapiro family, Christmas is a fun time. One of the fun things we like to do is give gifts. And uh, something that kind of surprises me every year is the sheer amount of effort involved in, uh, in uh, finding gifts, right? We, uh, we tend to give gifts to the kids, the kids give gifts to the kids, the grandparents give gifts to the kids. And you want to give the right gift, right? So you have to spend time and effort searching <coughs> for the perfect gift. And that's what the message is about today, not our gifts, because Christmas is ultimately not about our gifts to one another. It's about the gift God gave all of us, right? And God really does give the perfect gift to us. We uh, see it in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we're given the gift of the Lord Jesus in Christmas. He is the babe that was born uh, in Bethlehem, and that was God's gift to us. Now, one of the wonderful things about give, getting gifts is uh, finding out what's inside the box, right? So you, I think I have a picture for that one. Sorry, we kind of overloaded our, our uh, operators behind there. But right, you kind of start opening it up, and you try to find out what is it inside the gift, you know, is it that special toy I've been waiting for or something else, and what is it? So what is it that God gave us? We said God gave us uh, his gift, the Lord Jesus, and sometime uh, we might look at, at uh, that baby lying in a manger, and we think, what, what's, what's inside? What's the meaning of this? What is it that God exactly gave us in the Lord Jesus? And uh, we have a hint for us in... Uh, in Luke chapter 2, it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so when we're looking at that baby lying in a manger, we're looking at a Savior. A Savior, what does that mean? Well, a Savior is somebody who saves you. Right? which means we must be in some grave danger, and the Savior comes, and he delivers us from that grave danger. Right? So when we're looking at that baby, and we realize he's no longer a baby, right? He was just, at the time, a baby. There was a Savior. Somebody was in that baby who was going to save your life. And uh, the uh, final connection to that is for us in Matthew 1.21. Here the angel is speaking to Mary... And he's, uh, sorry, to Joseph, and speaking about Mary, he says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So that is the deadly danger that lies over all of us is our sins. The Bible tells us that our sins separate us from God, and that the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die perish 
for all of eternity because of our sins against God. And Jesus is the one whom God sent to save us from that danger, to save us from an eternity in hell. Right? He is the Savior. That's what we're looking at when we're looking at God's gift to us in the Lord Jesus. Now, we are in the book of Hebrews, and uh, I have been challenging us to memorize a verse, Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 1 and 2, and uh, I've been promising opportunity for people to share if they've memorized that verse. Uh, so uh, did anybody memorize Hebrews uh, 12, 1 and 2? I see a hand over there. Eliana, would you stand up and speak it clearly and enunciate it carefully? So the key, the key thought in the book of Hebrews really is the Lord Jesus, and uh, the author tells us to fasten our eyes upon him. Now, in today's theme, as we're talking about gifts, we might say that one of the problems that the Hebrews had was that some of them were, were uh, returning the gifts. There's, uh, there's uh, as I understand it, uh, two big shopping days in the year. There is... Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, where everybody runs to buy the gifts. And then there is the day after Christmas, December 26, when everybody returns the gift to the store and gets what they really want. <coughs> and uh, so the problem was that some of the Hebrews were returning the gift. Right? They, they believed in the Lord Jesus, but persecution arose. And they said, if this is what it means to believe in Jesus, we're not interested. And they were returning the gift. And the author of the Hebrew... Hebrews is writing this letter to assure them of the value of this gift that is in the Lord Jesus so that they will not do that, so that they won't return the gift and they'll receive that perfect gift that God has for them. Now, he will do it by means of comparison. So the uh, Hebrews had what we called the Levitical priestly system. When Moses gave Israel the law, he also gave, gave them priests. And it was the task of the priests to maintain the relationship between the people and God. So some of the Hebrews may have thought, well, we have the, Le the Levitical priesthood to keep us right with God. And so Jesus is not essential for us. We don't really need Jesus. We have this other means. And the author of the Hebrews is comparing in this chapter, we're looking at chapter 7, Hebrews 7, the two systems to show us the benefit of one over the other. Now, I had uh, an illustration for that. If, uh, you know, can anybody younger than uh, 20 tell me what that thing at the bottom left is? <laughs> All right. A child at heart, right? Uh, yep, that is a phone. And the way you use that phone is you'd actually stick your finger into one of the holes with the number you want to dial. 
You move it all the way to the right, you pull your finger out, the phone will then turn, complete the turn, and then you stick your finger in the next number you want to dial, and you move it all the way around, and, and you know, so forth. Hopefully it's just a, you know, seven-digit number, might be a ten-digit number. And yeah, you could, you could talk on the phone, right? It really, really did work, and might still work. I'm not quite sure if they still work or not. But uh, today we have this, you know, smartphone, right? And I don't, I don't have to, to, to even punch the numbers anymore. I can just say, you know, call my wife. And my phone calls my wife. Oh, I can say FaceTime my wife. And I don't just talk to her, I get to see her, right? So some improvements have been made over the years in the technology. And so that's kind of what we have here. We have a comparison of, if you would, God's new way for us to come to him through the Lord Jesus versus the old way, which was the Levitical priesthood. And one is far superior to the other. And so the comparison will be, will be used in this text for us as a means of, of convincing us to hold on to God's perfect gift, which is the Lord Jesus. With that, let's start reading in our passage. We'll read it bit by bit. And we'll start in, in chapter 7, verse 20. Our passage is, is, is 20 through 22. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Now, I'm going to review here. It's clear that we're in the middle of a thought because he said, and in as much as he was not made priest without an oath. Remember, last time we talked about the Lord Jesus being that perfect high priest that God sent to us. And it focused on this phrase of the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was not of the Levitical order. He wasn't a descendant of Aaron that uh, God gave the priesthood to. He belonged to another order, the order of Melchizedek, of which Jesus is really the only true priest. You could say Melchizedek was a picture of the Lord Jesus. And I was thinking of, of that. How was Jesus shown to be better? And um, when, you, when you buy for a smartphone, usually you, you won't just buy any smartphone. You'll, you'll pick something that we might call a brand name. Right? So, you know, there's certain smartphones out there that's been there for a while, and uh, people will, will pick one of those, right? And if I brought you another, you know, phone, and I tried to sell it to you, and you'd ask me who's the manufacturer, and I'll give you some, some name, you might say, well, I don't recognize that name. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to buy that phone, right? I don't know if it's going to be a good phone or not, but if it's, uh, if it's one of these brands, then you'll probably, okay, well, this is a phone I'm interested in. Right? I know these phones are out there, they've, they've got good reviews, this is a good quality. So in a sense, Jesus is of a better brand than the Levitical priesthood. Right? We, we, we saw last time how the Malkits, the being of the order of Melchizedek was really better than being from the order of Aaron. And I had a list here of the ways it was better. It was better politically, Melchizedek was a king, Aaron was not a king. 
Uh, it was better chronologically. Melchizedek was before Eret, right? So might as well pick the brand that's been around longer, right? That's Jesus. He uh, is better, and I made up a word here, nomenclaturally. Uh, if you ever took uh, chemistry in college, you would have learned maybe the word nomenclature, which is the science of names. How do you come up with a name for some new molecule, right, that somebody invented? And, uh, and Jesus has a better name. He is called the king of righteousness and the king of peace, right? Sounds better than Aaron. <laughs> king of righteousness, king of peace. He was better scripturally. The way Melchizedek is presented is like the son of God, having no father, no mother, no genealogy, right? He's like the son of God. And he's better than them relationship, meaning if you go put them head to head, you see Melchizedek interaction with Abraham, and Melchizedek is clearly superior because he blesses Abraham, and Abraham is tithing to Melchizedek, whereas the Levitical priesthood, they're Abraham's descendants, so they cannot be better than Abraham. So if you compare head to head, you'd have to say the order of Melchizedek is better than the order of Aaron. It's a superior brand name, right? So Jesus is superior simply by brand name compared to the... Levitical priesthood. Now, in this passage, we see something else. It says, Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath. If you were to go and buy a phone, and uh, on the box it would say this, would you buy it? Well, you might. You might say, well, a one-year warranty, that's pretty good. All right, I'll take a phone that will last for one year. If it was warranted for one month, would you buy it? Probably not. If it said in big letters, no warranty, you know, take it out, you can't bring it back. If it breaks, would you buy it? Probably not. Right? And, and that's what we have here. The, Malkitzedek, sorry, the Levitical priesthood has no warranty behind it. God made no oath. Right? Now, God gave the Levitical priesthood, so if that's all you have, that makes sense. Go ahead and take it. But God didn't promise the Levitical priesthood would last more than a day. After a day, he could say, we're done with the Levitical priesthood. I have something else for you. He could, because he never made an oath that it was going to last anywhere longer than that. There was no warranty associated with it. Whereas in the case of Jesus, he said this, uh, but he, with an oath, by him who said to him, the Lord God has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus comes with an eternal warranty. God must, if he will keep his word, accept Jesus as a means to him. Right? Will never go away. God's warranty behind Jesus. Now, the next passage we have says also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, about a year ago, I bought a uh, new computer, and uh, one of the things I like doing when I buy a new computer is also buy new software, right? But I like using a, a software called Office. I don't know how many of you use Windows Office. 
It has like Word and Excel and PowerPoint. Uh, and those are tools I use, right? And they're convenient for me. And Microsoft Office will put out a, uh, sorry, Microsoft, the company, will put out a new piece of software roughly every year or every couple of years. Now, I don't want to go and buy the new one every time because they cost a lot of money. It's like 100 bucks, $150. So, you know, but when I buy a new computer, well, now I have an excuse. All right, I'll go and buy the latest and greatest you know, Microsoft Office. And uh, I had uh, kind of a, a wake-up call when I went to buy it. So it turns out, so I have Office 10, right, uh, 2010. Right? That's the version I have on my computer right now. Well, it's 2016. I was hoping to find Office 2016 or even 2015. That would be pretty good. But no, it's Office 365. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, you know, how much does it cost? And so when I go to buy it, it says, okay, $99. But you look more carefully and it says what? Per year. Which means what? Comes around next year, I'll have to pay it again. They're no longer giving me the option of owning it. I just want to own it. I want to pay once and be done with it. Right? I don't want to have to renegotiate because, you know, the $99 may not be the next year. It might be $109. And it may even be discontinued, right? Because I'm only buying it for one year. They're, they're free to say, you know what? We're not offering office anymore. And I'm stuck with nothing. Right? Uh, so I, we have something similar here with the Levitical priesthood. It says there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. And to try to understand what this means. I'd like us to try to go back in time. Let's say we were around 2,000 years ago. There's no Jesus. Okay, maybe go back, you know, 3,000 years ago. Right, all you have is the Levitical priesthood. And let's say I'm a, a good religious Jew. I live in, uh, in Galilee. And uh, once a year, or maybe three times a year, if I'm really good, I'll go down to Jerusalem to, to make the offerings. And uh, there's a new priest and so I, I talked to the new priest. I explained to him, look, I'm really serious about my relationship with God. And uh, I recognize that you are my means to get to God. Right? You are God's high priest. You are the mediator between man and God. And so, uh, you know, here's my offering. And, you know, I'd like you to present it to God. And I'd like you to remember me whenever you go before God and, and mention me in your prayers to make sure that God is blessing me and, and my crops are coming in good and, you know, all, all my goods are protected. Right? I mean, that's what you would do in those days because the priest was your way to God. And the priest says, sure, yes, you know, I, I accept the gift you bring. I'll present it to God. I'll remember you before God, and I'll assure that you have a good relationship with God because that's my job, and I recognize that, that I should do it faithfully unto the Lord. And you'd walk away in peace, being glad that there's a good high priest, and he'll take care of you, and, uh, and everything will, will go well. And then the next high holiday comes and you go back to Jerusalem, the priest died. Right? And uh, there it goes. All your efforts of, of, of talking to him, it may not be easy to get audience with the high priest, your offering to him, you know, your, your assurance that you were taken care of, all of that is gone. And hopefully uh, the next high priest is good, but you have to start all over again. Right? You have to come again and present to him. And... Uh, and so your confidence is lacking because what's going to happen next year? You know, maybe this high priest will die too. And for half a year, I'm without a representation before God. Right? I mean, there's a weakness there in that system. 
But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. But once you make that contract with Jesus, once you have put your trust in Jesus to make you right with God, you know what? He's always there. Right? You never have to worry about him dying. He did die once on the cross, but then he rose from the dead. Right? And he is now at the right hand of God, always making intercession for you. Right? There's no reason for lack of confidence, as you would with the Levitical priesthood. Hebrews 7.26 For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. In our search for Christmas gifts, uh, I've learned, you know, a little, a little bird uh, whispered to me that uh, my wife was interested in uh, a new ice cream scooper. And, uh, you know, I go to Amazon.com, like every good husband does, and, uh, and I look for a good uh, ice cream scooper, and a uh, good ice cream scooper costs about $15. And I'm like, well, you know, if I give my wife a uh, disposable plastic spoon, you know, that would be a lot less than $15, right? And she could dig out the ice cream with the spoon and save money. Well... The problem is the spoon is not really designed for that purpose. And uh, it'll probably break, right, trying to put that big scoop out. So, so you want something that's properly designed for the job. And as we think about the Levitical priests, you know, are they really designed for the job? Can, they, can these people really uh, be counted on to, to intercede for me with God effectively? And uh, we would have to say there's a problem. You know, the problem is the Levitical priests are sinners, right, like you and like me. It indicates it here. It says, uh, if I was to read one verse uh, forward, excuse me. It says, uh, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. These priests were required to offer sacrifices for their own sins because they were sinners. And uh, we don't have to look at that. We can look at history, right? The very, very first dedication ceremony for the priesthood, right? You know, here's Moses. He's presenting Aaron and Aaron's sons to be Israel's priests. The day is not out before two of them are dead by God because of, of offering profane fire before the Lord. I'm supposed to trust in this to make me right with God? I mean, they can barely survive themselves the day trying to represent me to God, right? There's a problem. They're not made of the right material. But, but he, it says, such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy. What does that mean? Jesus says that uh, a good tree bears good fruit as an indication, well, if we are right with God, we will be doing good things. Well, Jesus was that good tree, right? In him, in his nature, all he produced was good, right? He was pure within, no sin, uh, harmless. I'm thinking of Jesus being abused by sinners really throughout his ministry, 
but especially on the cross as he was crucified. And First uh, Peter tells to us who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You would think they're hanging on the cross, abused by people, and them mocking him. You know, he could have said something back to them, right? Something right and true about how bad they were, right? He could have reviled them back. I mean, that's a, a pretty mild form of being harmful, right? I mean, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You could say, well, Jesus could have at least said something negative to them. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Harmless. He never harmed a fly, let alone a person. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled. Now, a lot of people will say, you know, I'm good at heart, but, uh, you know, it's this environment that's bad for me, right? Or the devil made me do it. You know what? The devil couldn't make Jesus do it. He tried. Jesus grew up in an environment just as bad as we are. And yet, not one stain stuck to him. Right? He didn't copy his environment. <laughs> right? He was undefiled. Separate from sinners. And not to misunderstand this statement, Jesus did not keep his distant, distance from sinners on the otherwise, he was the one who approached sinners, and sinners found him approachable to the point where the other religious leaders of his day said about him that he eats with tax collectors and sinners as a way of deriding him. Look, this man, will, he will eat with tax collectors and sinners. Do you really want to follow him? Jesus never separated himself from sinners, right? He, he answered a saying, uh, it's the, the sick that need a doctor. You know, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, right? This is why I'm here to be with sinners, to help sinners. He didn't separate himself from sinners. So what does it mean when it said separate from sinners? I think it captures the thought in Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We, he was separate in the way that he walked, right? We walked away from God. Jesus was the one who stood in the center of God's will. This is where I want to be, even if it means dying on the cross, right? He was separate from sinners in the way he lived his life. Such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. I think that's perhaps the phrase most difficult to understand. How has Jesus become higher than the heavens? And I think the answer for that is most clearly shown in Philippians 2. It says of Jesus, who being in the form of God, meaning Jesus was God by nature, did not consider it robbery or a thing to be grasped, to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. So Jesus here on the earth looked like any other man, 
man. He wasn't receiving the glory of God, right? People did not treat him as God, and he wasn't asking people to treat him as God. He shed off his glory, so to speak. He was still God, but in the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? So then God elevated him, by raising him from the dead, by taking him visibly to heaven, and by telling us in his word, and even showing to Stephen, and perhaps others, himself sitting at the right hand of God. He really showed now that Jesus is God. Right? So this was how Jesus became higher than the heaven. He was always God, but he was here in the form of a servant, and then God elevated him in our sight to show us that this is God, right? that we're talking about. Now, how is that critical? As we're thinking of Jesus as our high priest, it says, for such a high priest was fitting for us. This is someone who is designed for the job of saving us from our sins. The Levitical priesthood would be like taking that plastic spoon and trying to scoop out an ice cream scoop. It's not going to work. It's going to break. They can't do it. But here is someone who could. How? Because he's holy, he can enter the presence of God without offending the holiness of God. And by being God himself, he can do something that Job said. This is what Job said as he was struggling with his trials. He said, for he, God, is not a man as I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. He said, I can't talk to God. I can't argue with God. I'm a man. He is God. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay a hand on, on us both. So Job was looking for somebody who could mediate between him and God. And you know what? This is a person who has to lay his hand on God. Show me somebody that can lay a hand on God. There's one. His son. See, he can lay a hand on his father. Right? As you and I can. As the Levitical priest could not. Right? Here is someone who can lay a hand on God and act as our mediator. Someone who is fitting such a high priest was fitting for us. Verse 27, we'll re we read it, we'll read it again. Who does not need daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. When I moved into my house, not everything was perfect. Right? This house had been around for perhaps 20, 30 years. And uh, one of the things I found when I, when I got there is that the bathtub had on it um, kind of a rusty spot. Can we get the, the image out? That's it. And uh, I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll take care of that. And, uh, and I, I, I told my handyman that, said, oh, well, there's this... Uh, ceramic uh, paint, you can paint on top of it. And I'll fix it. So I did that. And, uh, but you know, the stain comes back again after a few weeks. And I did it again, and the stain comes back after a few weeks. Why? Because the, there's a problem inside the material, 
right? There's this rust inside of the bathtub, and I can put some sort of a cover on type of it, and it's going to break through eventually, right? Because the problem hasn't really been dealt with. And in a similar way, the Levitical priesthood was like that. They needed daily to offer sacrifice. I, I committed sin. I did something that God told me not to do. What should I do? Well, God told me I'll take this, this offering, this, this, uh, this young, young, harmless, uh, uh, pure goat, and I'll bring it to the priest, and the priest will slit its throat and kill it. And he'll take the blood and sprinkle it on the altar, and God says he'll forgive me for my sins. My sins are covered. That's the word in the, in the Hebrew language. My sins will be covered. And I'm, I'm perhaps happy about it, and I go, and I may not make it very far out of the tabernacle or temple before I sin again. <laughs> and I have to go back, right? Because the problem is still there. It hasn't been really taken care of. We need a permanent solution. And that's what we have with the Lord Jesus, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus' sacrifice for us had an eternal and complete solution for all the sin of mankind. When he paid for, for our sins dying on the cross, he just needed to do it once. And my sins, past, present, and future, are paid for. Your sins, past, present, and future, are paid for. The problem is completely solved. No more painting something on the surface and the, the sin will just burst out through again. In the eyes of God, everything is resolved in the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross for me. There's nothing else that needs to be done. My sins are paid for. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. When shopping at uh, Amazon, sometimes I'll notice this little caption appears when I'm looking at a product, and it'll say, this is not the latest model of this product. What does that tell me? There's something better, right? I mean, usually people won't make another model if it's going to be worse than the last one, right? Nobody's going to want to buy the new one if it's not as good or if it's not significantly better. Right? That's why every year your smartphones come up with some new feature. They have to convince you to buy the new one. Otherwise, you'll stay with the old one. And so the same is true when it comes to Jesus' priesthood. It says that the word of the oath came after the law. So the Levitical priesthood was appointed by the law, by Moses, around 1500 B.C., the word of the oath is found in the book of Psalm. It was spoken by, a psalm written by David. That's around 1,000 B.C. So just by position, the fact that the word of the oath, meaning God giving an oath that he will make the Messiah a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, means he is a later model, right? Maybe that seems a bit of a weak statement. But it gets better than that because if you think about it, he says, you are a priest forever, there's no model after Jesus, right? He's God's final model for priests, right? Nothing comes after Jesus. 
Now, there's something else in this verse. It says, For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Often, when you're buying something, you have to compromise, right? You don't find something that's really perfect, but you'll get something that's close. And uh, this, uh, there's a spoiler alert. Please don't pay attention if your name is Joey. But, uh, you know, looking at potential gifts for, for, for my son, you know, I know he wants a remote control car, so, you know, I go and I find something, and I'm like, well, you know, this looks really good, but he really likes the color red. So, you know, if we had this in red, that would be perfect. And what do you know? They have a red model. Okay, that's perfect, right? This is all hypothetical joy. And uh, so what does it mean? Because it says here, you know, the son has been perfected forever. Because you know, we recognize that Jesus was perfect from the sense of being perfectly holy, right? And he was already perfect in the sense of being the son of God, right? So what was missing, I think the hint for us for this is in Hebrews 2, Nine through, uh, sorry, 10 through 11. It says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. But Jesus, by being the Son of God and holy, fulfills one half of Job's equation. I need a man who can lay a hand on us both. Jesus could lay a hand on God the Father, being God and being perfectly holy, but he was missing a certain connection with me. Right? I would look at him, and there is God, offering to make me right with God. There's still a disconnect. But when Jesus became a man, he became a perfect savior. Here is someone who can relate for me. Here is someone who walked the dusty uh, streets of Palestine, who experienced all the sorrows of mankind, who knows what it is that I am going through. He can lay a hand on me and say, Noad, I understand. I know what you're going through. And I want to tell you what I've done for you when I laid hands on my father. Right? Here is someone who can bridge the gap. Here is a perfect savior. One of our family's tradition for Christmas, we don't just give gifts, <laughs> is um, we'll read through the account of the Christmas story in the Gospels, uh, just a little at a time, right? We have all of December, okay, we have a number of traditions. One of them, we get these uh, uh, chocolate boxes that have like 25 uh, chocolates, or maybe 24, kind of one for every day from December 1st to the 24th, and so it gives an extra incentive for the kids to participate. <laughs> and, uh, but part of it is we read, we read a little bit of scripture, and uh, a couple of days ago we were reading in Luke 1, uh, verse 30 through 33, then the angel said to her, 
Here the angel is speaking to Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we're going to go ahead and, and turn that off so you guys can't cheat. And I would ask my children a question like, what did this verse tell us about Jesus? And uh, my daughter, Eliana, because she was listening closely, said it tells us that he is going to be a king. Right? He's going to be a king. We recognize that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven to us and bring us to the kingdom of heaven, make us right with God. And I said, good, that's very good. Joey, for how long will Jesus be king? I asked him, and he said, forever. Right? It says forever. So good, he was listening to him. And uh, then I asked Ben, Ben, who is Jesus going to be the king of? And Ben said, everyone. I said, good. Then Eliana made a statement. He said, well, he's not everybody's king. And that's good because not everyone receives the gift Jesus brings. You see, that's one of the interesting things about gifts. You have to receive them. Shelby and Joy, would you please come? I have a gift for you. Here you go, Shelby. Okay. What do you say? Okay. You can bring that picture again. You see, God is offering you a gift, right? The Lord Jesus is a gift. God sent him to be the perfect gift for you. But for you to enjoy Jesus, you have to receive him. Right? Just like these children received the gift that I had for them. Actually, uh, credit goes to... Uh, to uh, Renee Harmount for the gift Joey got. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your gift, your perfect gift in the Lord Jesus. I pray here for anyone who hasn't yet received him as the gift that you want him to be received as, as or that you help them receive him. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>